Welcome to this week's message here on Brit David Podcast. Today, we continue our walk through the book of Luke as Pastor Tim shares a message from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, entitled, Check This Out. Today, we look at one of those glimpse behind the curtain scenes in the Bible. It's not one of the more famous stories, but more like a check this out kind of passage. After telling the story of Simon and the sinner, Luke gives the example of three others who were genuine disciples. Check this out. Here's Pastor Tim. Your Bible and turn with me this morning to Luke chapter number eight. That's right, we finally made it to chapter number eight. Let me remind you though, as we look at this passage, that the chapters and verses were added later. So it's not that Luke sits down and he writes chapter seven and whew, that's enough for today. Tomorrow I'll start on chapter eight. Doesn't work that way, he just keeps writing. And uh, we have divided those things up. In fact, you're going to notice that the passage today sits very well with the passage from last week. In fact, this really is one of those glimpse-behind-the-scenes kind of passages. It's not a, you know, it's not a great parable. Instead, it's sandwiched between two great parables. It's not necessarily what we would call one of the great miracles of the Bible, even though there's a great miracle that's in this particular passage. It's not one of those passages that you, that you tell your children at night about. This is just one of those check this out kind of passages. You know, as, as, as Luke has been writing and telling the story, and he's just told that story that, uh, that Jesus has when he goes to the house of Simon, and, uh, and in the middle of that dinner, this, this sinner woman comes to him and breaks that alabaster flask of oil um, over him, begins to weep over him, wiping her feet. And Jesus says that it's a, it's a demonstration or an expression of love and gratitude for a person who's genuinely been forgiven. And so, so, so he tells this story then, or this parable, of a creditor who has two debtors. And the whole point of the passage is that people who understand that they have been forgiven express their love back to the Lord in terms of worship. And so it's almost as if Luke is saying, before we move on to anything else, he said, I've got, I've got some other people in mind. We do that, don't we? I mean, when we read a passage or maybe we hear a message, suddenly we, <laughs> we don't think those things are directed to us. Certainly we think, you know, that's directed to somebody else. And I, and I know who, you know. I mean, if she'd been here, she'd have, she'd have been told today, you know. And I hope he heard what preacher said today. You know, we think about it in those kinds of terms. But what Luke is doing as he tells this story and thinks about this, this woman with this incredible act of worship, says, you know what, she's not the only one. There there are more like her that are out there. In fact, he goes through this passage that we look at today and tells us about some women who also have been forgiven, who also have expressions of love back towards Jesus, and he tells us about them. By the way, let me me stop at this point and say this to you. One, uh, One day this past week was the International Women's Day. And, um, and, you know, when it comes to church, and especially when it comes to Southern Baptist churches, um, women, I mean, they're, they're so, it's not just one day out of the year, is it? I mean, it's all, it's all the time. Men, if it weren't for the ladies in our churches, 
Southern Baptist Convention would have been sunk a long time ago. You know, we may see things like brotherhood that goes by the wayside, but there are not too many churches that don't have an active WMU group. And we've got one, and I'm grateful for them. You know, there are cultures around the world where women are still seen as possessions, where they don't have the same rights as men have. They may not have a, a number of those rights, and in fact, they're just, you know, they're, they're considered second class. Did you know that the Bible never treats women that way? Even though not only the cultures, but there are religions that still entrap women in that way. And yet the Bible is so unique in its approach in putting us on level ground at the cross. You know, it's, it's amazing, especially Luke, of, of all of the gospel writers, highlights the work that women do for the ministry of Jesus more than anybody else. So we're thankful for them and thankful for what they do. In fact, that's really kind of where we're going here today. We get to see these group, this group of women who really do genuinely love Jesus and have decided to follow him as disciples. I mean, last week we met the sinner, right? But today you get to meet a lady who is satanic. You get to meet a lady who is a servant spouse. You get to, you get to meet a lady who is super shy. And yet no matter what their background and no matter what their personality They've given their hearts to Jesus, and they are followers of His. So really what we get to look at today is, what is a real disciple like? You know, man or woman? Uh, man, you know, man in the first century, man in the 21st century. Woman in the first century, woman in the 21st century. Doesn't matter. What does it really look like for a disciple? Who are they? And I think that's kind of what Luke is doing is he tells us, you know, listen, check, check this out. Check these people out, if you will. You're in Luke chapter number 8. Look with me in verse number 1. The Bible says, Now it came to pass afterward that Jesus went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, or preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others who provided for him from their substance. I want us to take a look today through this passage at how some of Jesus' followers really were his disciples, even if they didn't get the same kind of billing as the twelve. We may not either. That's okay. Who are we supposed to be? Let me give you these four things today. Number one, I want you to see that the disciples had been converted. The disciples had been converted. You can't be a disciple without being born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. It's not enough to join the church. It's not enough to have your name on the roll. It's not enough to be baptized. It's not enough to go to Sunday school. It's not enough to give offering. There's not anything else that you can do to make yourself right before the Lord rather than simply come to the Lord Jesus and believe Him and trust in Him. A disciple has to be converted. 
They have to be changed. In fact, in the book of Acts, it gives us the, the, the ingredients, if you will, for what real true conversion is about. And Paul said, I taught you this publicly, and I taught you this from house to house. And these are the ingredients. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be converted. To have repentance toward God, repentance of my sins, repentance of my situation, repentance of who I am and where I'm headed, and faith, trust, genuine belief in the Lord Jesus and what He's done for us. You probably know my story better than I know it myself at this point. But 17 years old, on a camping, hiking, whitewater rafting trip, I sat down on a log in the North Georgia mountains, opened my Bible to the book of James as I read every single day out of James chapter number one. I never made it out of chapter one. Some of us are slow learners. So I just kept going back and back and back until the light bulb finally came on and I read God's word that said, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. It was as if the voice of God had said to me that day, Tim, you're fooling yourself. You're fooling yourself if you think that you belong to me, if you think that you're a genuine Christian. Just because you've gone to church all these years, you've heard and you've heard and you've heard. You've heard it from the Sunday school teachers. You've heard it from the RA leaders. You've heard it from the youth leaders. You've heard it from the, from the pulpit. You've heard. But you've never done anything about inviting Christ to come into your life and allow Him to be the Lord of your life. And right then and there, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. It changed me for forever. I was converted. I was transformed. I was transferred out of a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Never have been the same, never ever will be the same. He saved me that day. And I became a disciple and a follower of His. What I wonder is about your own story. What is your story? Are you a disciple? Are you a follower of His? Have you genuinely been converted? Repentance toward God. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You express those things these ladies had. It said that Jesus went to every city and every village doing what? He is preaching. He's preaching the gospel, preaching, preaching the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. Every city they go to, I mean, every city he goes to, they go to. Every village he goes to, they go to. Every sermon he preaches, they hear. Every lesson he teaches, they hear. And at some point, the light bulb goes on. And they've given their hearts to Jesus through this time. And they're never, ever going to be the same. These ladies have been converted just like the twelve have been converted, just like many of you have been converted, just like some of you need to be converted, even today. And you can be. A disciple is. A disciple has been converted. Number two, a disciple has been changed. It's been changed. You can't be the same, can you? You can't be the same after you've invited Jesus into your life. Now, if we were to ask, and you know, if we were to ask in Sunday school classes, you know, I would say if we were asking children Sunday school classes, but the reality is, is that whether we're asking children or we're asking adults, sometimes we'll ask the question, where is Jesus? And they'll automatically want to say, well, Jesus is in my heart. You know, and that's, you know, I guess that's somewhat true. I've asked Jesus to come to my heart. 
That's not technically right, though, is it? Where is Jesus? Jesus is resurrected. Jesus is ascended. Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father, doing what? He is always making intercession for us. You know how good it makes you feel when somebody tells you, I'm praying for you? It does make you feel good, doesn't it? I'm praying for you. I am talking to the Father, to the Creator of all things about your situation. I'm talking to the One who can bring about real change in your life. I'm talking to Him about you. Man, there ain't, there's hardly anything better except for this. Jesus is praying for me. You know, I think about, I think about Jesus talking to Peter and saying, Peter, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. And he says this, but I have prayed for you. And you go through those times of sifting. You go through times of temptation. You go through times of trial. And you rise. The Lord Jesus sitting at the right end of the throne of the Father is interceding for me and praying for me. What in the world am I doing? Why am I thinking the way that I'm thinking? I need my heart to be in line with where Jesus is. He's praying for me. So what is it happening in my heart? Well, the Bible says when I invited Jesus in, really it's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? The Holy Spirit comes in to take up residence inside of my body, my life. He's there. That's why we refer to our bodies then as the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is in there. He is the one who leads us. He is the one who guides us. He is the one who teaches us. He is the one who whispers in our ear like Isaiah said, this is the way, walk in it. It's the Holy Spirit of God who changes my life on the inside. And so my question then is, how can I be the same before I invite Jesus into my life and the Holy Spirit comes inside and then afterwards? How can I be the same without the Spirit of God and yet having the Spirit of God? I'm telling you that you can't be the same. You can't be. Listen, Jesus loves you enough that He will take you just like you are. But He also loves you enough that He won't leave you like you are. He's going to bring about change. What kind of change? He is developing you into the same image as Himself. Sometimes people will say, Tim, what is... What is God's will for my life? Now, I can't answer that specifically, but I can tell you this. In fact, for every person in this room, I can tell you what God's will for your life is. God's will and God's purpose is that you be conformed to the image of His Son. That you be like Jesus. So whatever it is that doesn't match Jesus needs to go. Whatever matches Jesus needs not only to stay, but to be honed. I need Him to bring about transformation in my life. These ladies serve as a great example of that. They're mentioned by name. But listen to what he says. He says, certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and healed of infirmities. There was a transformation that had taken place in these ladies' lives. For example, Mary Magdalene. Mary from Magdala really is the way that we probably should say that. Mary's name means bitter. It means obstinate. It means rebellious. And that was the kind of lady that Mary was. So much so that the, not the Holy Spirit, but the unholy spirit had a hold of her. You read here in this passage that there are seven demons 
that had taken hold in her life. She was Satan-controlled and hell-bound. Her life meant zero to her and to everybody else around her. She was doomed for who she was. And every act of impurity simply seemed to cement that reputation further and further. And then she met Jesus. Listen, you can't come to a point of saying, I am too bad for Jesus to save me, and then look at Mary from Magdala. If Jesus can save Mary from Magdala, He can save you. He can deliver you. You say, you don't understand, Tim. The devil has a hold of my life. The devil had a hold of her life with seven hands. And yet He still delivered her. He still transformed her. He still changed her. Mary Magdalene gets to be at the crucifixion. Mary Magdalene is there at His burial. Mary Magdalene is there to see the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene is the one who gets to see Jesus resurrected from the dead first. Mary Magdalene is one who gets to go and say, He is alive. Mary Magdala got to be one of the innermost supporters of Jesus' ministry. Changed and transformed. That's Mary. Second person that you get introduced to in that second verse, or in the third verse when you get down to that, is Joanna. Joanna is very different from Mary. Joanna's name even means God is gracious. She's going to find out just how gracious he is. Joanna thinks she's got everything she needs. She's married to Chusa, who is the steward of Herod, the king. She lives in luxury. Joanna has everything that anybody could possibly want. People would look at Joanna and say, she's got it all together. I wish I could be like Joanna. You know, no, nobody ever said that about Mary. Nobody ever wanted to be like her. Everybody wants to be like Joanna. But listen, the truth of the matter is, is that whether you're a down and outer or an up and outer, you're still an outer. You still need Jesus. And the same amount of grace that it takes to save somebody like Mary takes somebody to save like Joanna. The same kind of grace that it takes to save a demoniac is, a, is the same kind of grace that it takes to, to save someone who lives in a palace. No matter what your stat, statute in life is, you need Jesus. And you need to be changed and transformed. Jesus isn't interested in changing you into a person like Joanna. He's not interested in changing you into a person who has every material thing. Sometimes we treat God that way, don't we? The things that we pray for are material things. We think that spiritual success is determined by, by material things. Joanna needs to be saved, and she is. Joanna needs to be changed, and she is. Joanna is the one that Luke is really referring to when he says that she had been healed of many infirmities. As soon as Jesus healed her, Joanna started to walk with Jesus. And then there's one more person. Her name is Susanna. Her name means Lily. It's, it's pretty, you know? I mean, it's, it's a wonderful name. That's all I know about Joanna. I don't know, I don't know anything else. 
She's not mentioned anywhere else in any other passage, not, other, not one other verse anywhere in the Bible. Completely unknown. And yet now will be known for forever. There are plenty of people who feel like they're nobodies. Plenty of people who feel like God's not going to save them because they don't matter. They don't matter to other people. They don't matter to the Lord. They don't matter to anybody. Jesus is here to tell you that you matter. That you matter to Him. That He knows your name even if nobody else does. And He can make your name remembered if He wants to. You know, don't know anything about Susanna. But forever and forever and forever, she will be known as a transformed disciple of Jesus. Join us tomorrow as Pastor Tim shares a conclusion to the message from Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Check it out. Pastor Tim would love to connect and share with you about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and how you can know that you know that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. That address is church office at BritDavid.org. We are located at 2801 West Brit David Road, Columbus, Georgia, 31909. Thanks again for joining us here on Brit David Podcast.